Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, guest speaker Joey Fennell concludes the series entitled Jailbreak. In this message, we explore our struggle with bitterness and unforgiveness. Coming from a counseling background, Joey shares some applicable ways to deal with forgiveness. He points out that the main reason we are called to forgive is because Christ first forgave us. Good morning, church. Aren't you glad this is the last Sunday you have to hear that bumper video? My golly. I've had to get my hearing checked every week since we left here. Walking out with a one eye closed. Um, my name is Joey Fennel. I'm the one that they ask to uh, preach on topics that will um, most likely run people off. Um, I'm the one that gets the honor of doing that. And, and uh, so we're going we're gonna to get into the, the final message of jailbreak today. But first, I wanted to say a couple of things. Um, one is... Um, Great facility that we that we get to use here at, at Sagebrook High School. Um, I get the honor of of working here four out of five days a week, doing um, drug and alcohol education and counseling with students. And it's a it's a, it's really a neat place to be able to be to walk the halls with students and faculty and and staff. Um, but also, uh, we have a a really good football team. If anybody didn't pay attention to that, Sagebrook's got a a good football team. I get to work with them as well and have for the last 13 seasons. Um, and we also have representation from Portal here, I think, and from Southeast Bullock. Both have football teams. And, uh, and they're doing, they play on Fridays and, and, and do, do pretty well. Uh, Portal actually beat Southeast, so that might be offensive to some. Um, and then there's University of Georgia. Well, how about them Eagles? Yeah. My goal was to try to get everybody divided up so we could talk about bitterness and unforgiveness. So if I was successful in that, we're ready to go with it. Bitterness and unforgiveness. Um, Really a subject that none of us really want to hear about, but all of us are probably aware of. If we're not consistently living with angerness, bitterness, and unforgiveness, we've probably experienced it somewhere in the past. Now, there are physical laws that we know about and are very aware of, and there are spiritual laws that are out there as well. If I jump off of this stage, I will land on the floor. That's a physical law. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. I will hit the floor after I leave the stage. There are also spiritual laws that must take place. And because of the saving grace of Jesus, they do take place. And they must take place. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, these are two verses that fall behind the Lord's Prayer that Brandon mentioned a while ago. Two verses that we probably don't get to a lot especially if we're doing the Lord's Prayer before a big game. We don't continue on with verses 14 and 15. Look there with me. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. If you don't have a Bible, we have a sky Bible up here behind me that you're welcome to look at. Verse 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive forgive your transgressions. This is tough stuff. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. 
it's kind of plain and simple, but I hear people argue with this for some reason. And did you know every time you have this argument with Jesus, you lose? Every single time. But come on, Jesus, it was, it was hurtful. It, you lose. This is probably one of the most black and white statements in the scripture that I see. Let me tell you what I think it means. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That's all I got. There's not much of a paraphrase there. It doesn't matter how little or how big your hurt is, it's a pretty black and white statement. Just as it is a physical impossibility for me to levitate to the front row if I step off of here, it's also a spiritual impossibility for me to have Christ in my heart and harbor bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone else. And you might say, it's not that hard for me. I can do both. I now do it very well. But I would say that you're on really dangerous ground. Do you know why we harbor unforgiveness and bitterness? Another pretty simple answer. Because we can. Pretty plain and simple, because we can. We sit back sometimes and we think, well, this was really bad and it really hurts me and I think about it a lot, so I have the right to be angry about this. It was bad. Guess what? You don't have the right to be angry. Before you leave, I'll explain it. Jailbreak. That's what we're finishing up today. If you think you have a right to be angry, then you've placed yourself in that prison. You've put yourself there. For some, it's a fresh wound. For others, you've been holding all of this thing for years. And you think, you know, I just don't think about it anymore. I just kind of keep it in this little box and off to the side. But every now and then, you're at the old family reunion. You're at some gathering at Thanksgiving or Christmas. And somebody says something. You're like, ah! And you start spitting out these things. You're like, where'd that come from? There it is again. It creeps up on you and hits you right square in the face. There are things that... That get me. I don't know about, about y'all, but one of my great, and I, I hesitate to tell y'all this because somebody's going to do it to me. But I get so irritated when I'm going down the road and someone pulls out in front of me and a hundred yards later turns. Really? You could not have waited one more car. Looking behind me, there's, you know, it's like, dust behind me. Nothing's back there. But you had to pull out in front of me like you planned to do it. Like there's Joey. I know he hates this. Pull out in front of him. Hit the brakes. You know, if I had a snow plow, that's what I'd like to have. Because I would just right through you. That's what I feel like doing. Just, just drill you. Me and NASCAR fans in here? Good. The three of us will talk for a minute. It is amazing to me. It's not really amazing. It just makes sense. Even last night's race. I know all of y'all watched it, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you about it anyway. There's this little bumping going on with a couple of guys, Brian Bickers and Marcus Ambrose. 
Well, what happens is Brian gets mad and goes back and spins Marcus Ambrose out after Marcus Ambrose hit him earlier. That's the way they settle it on the track. Let them race, right? And I thought about that and I was watching. You know what they did? They made him park his car. I'm like, that's pretty sad when NASCAR has to come across the radio and go, now, now, little man, you go park your half-million-dollar vehicle with 800 horsepower because you can't handle it. Wouldn't it be easier if God did that to us? And I think he does in a lot of respects. This past week, uh, Brandon and I, who is our awesome pastor, I might add, well, I was wondering if my mic went off or, or I was the only one that thought it. Man, it's bad. I'm glad he's not in here yet. Um, we meet once a week. And this past week, we were meeting at one of our finest establishments, Dunkin' Donuts, awesome coffee. And um, I drive up that morning, and as I'm pulling into the parking lot, I see a friend of mine who is standing kind of in the doorway. I'd never seen him there before. And it just kind of crossed my mind. This is odd. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I certainly never seen him at Dunkin' Donuts. So I walk in the door. And as soon as I walk in the door, he looks at me and he says, Oh, my goodness. I have needed to talk with you. My wife and I were talking about you last night. We have some friends that we really want to come see you at your office to do some marriage counseling. And thought about that for a minute. I went and sat down with Brandon. We started talking about sovereignty and free choice. Some really, we had some really good conversations at Dunkin' Donuts. You're all interested in like, I'm not going there on the day they go. We started talking about this and I started thinking, wow, what, what an awesome thing that I walk in and have not seen this guy in forever and he's planning on calling me that day. In the same way, today may be a divine appointment for you. Today may be a day that you got up, brushed your teeth and your hair, hopefully, bathed, hopefully. Your neighbors will tell the difference soon. But you're in here and you're thinking, yeah, I came to church and hopefully it'll be good. I'll leave and we'll get something to eat. may already be thinking about that, planning out the establishment. But today may be a divine appointment. Maybe God has something else in store for you. But Joey, Joey, you don't know what so-and-so did to me, you might say. They gossiped about me. They lied about me. They betrayed my innocence. My spouse cheated. I was abandoned. But, 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 you don't know. You're right. But I do know a little bit. In my office, day after day after day, I sit and I counsel with those who have been hurt deeply. And I cry and I listen along with many people. There may have been a bad business deal. A friend betrayed you. Maybe your mother or father betrayed you. Maybe you had a child to leave you angry. You may be sitting here aching over your partner's past sexual sins. Or maybe it's more present. Maybe your spouse is stuck in pornography. Maybe they broke the vows. Maybe you're angry at God because of something 
he could have done but did not do. Or maybe you can identify with this. My parents divorced when I was six months old, and for those early formative years of my life, I really didn't get to know um, my father. I met him for the first time when I was about six or seven years old. Him and his family were traveling up to the Space Center in Huntsville, Alabama, and they'd stopped by where I lived and had me come along with them, and it was kind of a whirlwind and kind of crazy to me, but I got in a car, and off I went, and very quickly I realized that I was in a situation that I didn't want to be in. My dad was very um, verbally abusive to my mom, and at one of the stops on the trip, my brother had put his feet up on the um, back seat of the station wagon, and my dad came around the corner and slugged him for it, and he was about nine or ten years old, and these things began to leave an impression on me that this was not a situation I wanted to be in, but nonetheless, a relationship began, and I started going to visit him where he lived um, out in Texas, and in the midst of this time when all these things were going on, I had started first grade, and I was very ill when I started first grade, and really didn't have much of a first semester of first grade, and I started that second semester, and was kind of an A, B, and C student that second semester, and they sent me on into second grade, and when I went into second grade, I became a D and C student in second grade, and my parents and my teachers all decided that the best thing to do for me was to hold me back, but in that time, and going to visit my dad, um, he was talking with me, and he said that if I would have lived with him, I never would have been held He never would have done that to me. He said, as a matter of fact, you live in the cesspool of ignorance, and you're never going to amount to anything. And so I left with that charge in my life of of what my life was going to be like, and I was devastated as a small child, but I was determined to prove him wrong. So I went home, and I became like a super bookworm and studied. I was studying like three or four hours a night as like a third, fourth grader. It was just insane, but I made incredibly good grades, and I went back out there, and I was so proud of myself for how well I'd studied the grades that I had made, and I would keeping up with current affairs, and there was like an oil embargo going on at that time, and my dad began talking to me about the oil embargo, and I began sharing with him what I knew about it, and he was like, well, no, you're wrong. It's about this, this, and this, and about that time, the news echoed everything that I was telling him, and he looked at me, and he said, Why are you trying to be an adult? Why can't you be like your brothers and sisters and just be a child? And I was devastated, and I was hurt, and I continued to watch him drink. I continued to watch him be abusive to my brother, and I continued to watch him be abusive to um, my stepmom, and I grew to hate him with, with everything in me. I had no desire to be there. I had no desire to be around him. I hated him. I can even remember a few years later, that my um, stepbrother passed away in a car accident. And I wasn't a Christian at the time. I didn't know really much about heaven or hell. But I remember thinking that my brother was in a better place, even if that was in hell, than being with my dad. Well, a few years after that, I was a sophomore in high school, and Christ came into my life. I had some friends who loved me for who I was, who showed me that my value and my importance wasn't based on how I performed, but who Christ was. And what he was doing in my life and it truly taught me to forgive and realize that I was forgiven for the things that I had done. 
I went out to visit my dad that summer and I had a new spirit and a new attitude and I could tell that Christ was living in me and was making a difference in my life and I had truly forgiven my father for the past. And so when I was out there, I just looked at things through a new lens. My dad hadn't changed. He still drank and he still was abusive um, to my family. But my attitude and my heart had changed and how I treated him, and you could tell a difference. Dealing with my dad kind of reminds me of the story of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. And in that story, Jesus relates to Peter about a servant who was forgiven a huge debt that he had no chance in the world of ever repaying. And he was forgiven of that debt so miraculously. But then he went to another person who owed him a small debt, one that could be repaid but may take a tie. And he was just belligerent and mean and hateful about the small debt that was owed to him. And it just reminded me of the fact that the way my dad treated me was a small debt compared to the debt that I owed to Christ and what Christ had done for me. I would love to tell you that the story of my dad and I was one of healing and restoration, um, but it's not. It's a daily surrender to forgive, and it, and it teaches me valuable lessons in the people that I walk with daily and being willing to forgive when I feel hurt. Because what I've noticed about myself is that when I get focused on those that have hurt me or upset me, then my focus gets off Christ, and I get upset about um, maybe them not forgiving me or becoming very unforgiving to them. But when I keep my focus on Christ— then I'm able to forgive them and the debt that I feel like they owe me goes away because I realize what Christ has done for me in my life. We all wrestle with this issue. And it may be in so many different, I know it is, in so many different packages and looks look so much different for each individual. But it all comes down to the same thing something that we hold on to, something that we control. And it's a picture of us holding the neck of the person we hold it against. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, what Brian was just talking about is the text we're going to be really focusing a lot of our energy on today. Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 21, Peter asks a question. And what has happened prior to this, um, to this parable that Jesus is about to tell Jesus has gone through the process that we call church discipline. We call uh, this set of verses when, when someone does wrong, we go to our brother if they, and we call them out. We call them out in, in, in conviction, not in condemnation, as Brandon talked about last week. But we bring about this correction because of the Spirit of God on us. And Jesus is talking about this step by step through verse 20. And, and Peter who's just an awesome guy, probably like most of us, who had a temper, who couldn't keep his mouth shut, who always asked the question that probably everybody else was asking. He was the guy in the class where you roll your eyes when he raises his hand. Here we go again. What does Simon Peter want this time? So Peter's standing over there and got a hand raised, and he's like, "Uh, that all sounds good, Jesus, but let me ask a question. Verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. Now stop there. 
this whole seven thing. The number represents completion in Scripture. So many different examples of, of the number seven being used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the number itself represents completion. Now, 70 times 7, and some translations say 77 times, is a picture of Jesus saying, you just keep doing it, Peter. It's continual. So we have this picture of you forgive completely and you forgive continually. You forgive completely and you forgive continually. So the first point I want to make about why should we forgive? Why should we forgive other people? And the first point is we forgive because we're forgiven. We forgive because we are forgiven. Completely and continually. Now you may say, yeah, I know I should. We should do a lot of things. I should watch what I eat. I should finish on time today. Amen? Should gives us plenty of room to not do something. Plenty of room to get out. It's not a recommendation. It's a command. So how do I start this process, you ask? How do I start the process? Well, I think we have got to jump right into prayer. We have got to pray when it comes to forgiving someone else. Now, this is not the prayer that we go, God, please give them herpes or let them get hit by a large moving vehicle. That's not the prayer we're talking about. There's a song that is terrible, but it's kind of funny called I'll Pray For You. Anybody heard it? Come on now. Anybody really heard it? Sinners. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a pot falls from the windowsill and knocks you in the head like I like to. How about that? That's some good music right there. That's a country song if I've ever heard one. Just catch yourself just singing along with it and thinking, that's horrible. But isn't that the way we pray sometimes? Isn't that what we're thinking? We're like, yeah, I'll pray for them. Oh, yeah. I'll pray for him. Bring it, God. I got one for you. Let's get the timing just right when the train comes by downtown once a week. So we've got to pray. We've got to pray. In so much of, of my ministry, I teach folks about emotions versus actions and that we cannot fabricate emotions. We can't sit back and go, you know, I'm going to pray for them when I feel like it. As soon as I feel like it, and as soon as God tells me to, I will forgive them. It's not going to happen. It will never happen that way. There are times when if I'm sitting in my office, I'm getting a little cold, and I think, I I need to warm up. I'm going to sit here and just warm myself. Not really sure how you do that. The proper action, probably get up and walk outside where it's 180 degrees, I'd warm up pretty quick. There's an action that has to be taken in order to change the way that we feel. I had a couple one time who I was seeing and I'd given them this exercise to do and 
and um, it was about you know kind of gifts and, and doing things for our spouse and and they they have to uh, come up with ideas that used to make them feel loved early in our relationship. This is how you used to make me feel loved and this lady had had put on her list every now and then I, I just love to get a flower or some type of flowers now. He was the real practical one and saw no use in buying flowers. And I'm thankful to God above that my wife is very practical when it comes to flowers. They're expensive and they die, right? But she really liked this. And he left there and I I make them keep these lists wherever they can see them. The dash of their vehicle, you know, stamped on their forehead somewhere where they know and are reminded by this. So... This fellow goes out, and he's telling me the story. He said, I was on the way home, and I had no desire whatsoever to get her flowers. Didn't want to, don't like her right now, and if I got her flowers, I would have wanted to put them somewhere else. He was angry, a little bitter, you might say. But he said, you know what? I was like, please, God, please, God, please, God, let this be good. He said, I went and bought them anyway. And I got home, and I walked in the front door, and she melted. Was everything perfect after that? Absolutely not. But he said she had said she wanted these. I did it, and it was so unbelievable how quickly my emotions changed because I took action. If you pray for the person who wronged you, it may not change that person. Probably won't, but I can guarantee you it will change you. If you pray for the person, it probably won't change them, but it will change you and will change your attitude. I'm going to give you some practical steps that you can take in forgiving someone. And I'm going to run through these pretty quick, but they are going to be on the screen um, for you to write them down. And if you don't get them all in, in your type A and you have to have everything filled in and it's all got to be completed before you leave or your head will explode, um, just Uh, Call me, email me, and I'll send them to you, but you should be able to get most of these. The first thing you want to do, the first thing when it comes to forgiving someone is ask God, is there anyone I need to forgive? And this is for everybody. Some of you are like, I don't need to pray that. I know exactly who it is because as soon as I leave here, I'm going to call them and hope that they choke on lunch, okay? So you know exactly who it is, but some of us may be sitting here going, I really can't think of anybody. I'm I'm not really sure that I hold any bitterness or, or anything like that. So you pray about it. Ask God to show me who this person may be. Number two is focus on yourself first. Focus on yourself first. Thank God for his grace and forgiving you. We're going to get to this in just a minute. Thank God for his grace and forgiving you. Ask God, is there sin I need to confess in this situation? What am I doing around this situation that may be sinful in my own heart? And what are you teaching me in this situation, God? I want to learn from this situation. I want you to show me what this may be. And for some of you, you're still right here. You're following me. You're like, I got the answers to all these. These are easy. I know what he's trying to teach me, but my gosh, I want to stay angry. And then repent of unforgiveness that God reveals to you. Just repent of it. This is between you and God. God, I'm sorry that I'm holding on to this, and I need to repent of it. Repent does not mean to just say it and walk away. It means to say it and let it go. Give it to God. Repent. 
180 degree turn from what you're repenting of. Number three, list the specific offenses of the person who has wounded you. There's a trick here that we fall into a lot of times. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what he did. I'll tell you this and I'll tell you that. And we start getting these emotions built up, but because we're thinking and we're picturing the individual. You've got to separate yourself from the person. You've got to separate the act, separate the offense from the person so that you can bring those emotions down and have a heart-to-heart with God. Acknowledge the pain. Lord, it hurt when. Lord, it hurt when. Name it. This is what happened. It hurt when this person did this to me. It hurt when this person said this to me. And then finally, be specific but concise. Be specific but concise. Number four, forgive each offense from your heart. Lord, I choose to forgive so-and-so from my heart for this act. I declare that they're no longer in my debt over the issue. Remember we said it's like holding our hands around their neck. What's so ironic to me is when I hear of people talking about bitterness and unforgiveness, they're the ones in therapy, not the person who did it. They're sleeping just fine, going to football games, having a good time. And we see them when we're like, I hope you get hit by the football in the game. And they're going, woohoo, let's go, Eagles. And you're sitting over there fuming and have missed half the game because of something that happened, something that you're hanging on to. Make a commitment to not remember the offense. This is the hardest one. Some of you may have heard me say this before, but I don't know that we have the human capacity to not remember. Can we really not remember? We hear all this stuff about 9-11, never forget. Probably not going to happen. I know what they mean, and I know it's, it's a deep-seated thing, but I know I'm never going to forget it. We've, we've heard in, in many generations that's growing up, wherever you and Kennedy was shot. I wasn't thought of, so I, I don't really know. But some people can name it. They know what they're wearing. They can tell you smells. I can do the same thing with 9-11. I know where I was. I know that I just left my house, and I was in my office at First Baptist Church, and we were all gathered around watching this unfold. Horrible, horrible, horrible day. But we pray not to remember not to remember what someone has done for us, to us, and that is the process of working through. We don't get over something, we get through something. And then ask God to reveal anything else you need to forgive this person for. It's amazing how you begin to pray for someone, and you're like, oh, I forgot that one. I don't want to hang on to that one until tomorrow, and I'll start again. But God will begin to reveal these things to you. Number five. Pray a blessing over them and commit to blessing them when you have the opportunity. goes back to the country song, right? Pray a blessing over them. And sometimes all I can get out when someone has wronged me is, bless them, God. That's all I got. <laughs> bless them, God. And God begins to work. God begins to unfold some things and show me you can handle this because I got you. I can show you what forgiveness is. And then pray for reconciliation. This is when the tide turns a little bit. Because there are many offenses out there. You may be offended at someone who's dead. Not a lot of reconciliation goes on there. Right? 
Because reconciliation involves the other person. You're not responsible for that. As Brian was sharing on his video, it's an ongoing thing. There's not a happy ending to this story yet. We pray that there will be, but there's not one yet because it's not up to Brian. He offers forgiveness. We offer forgiveness to this person, and to be reconciled is for that person to come back to us and apologize, but it's not our responsibility to make that happen. Remember, reconciliation is now their decision. Commit to receive their repentance instantaneously if it happens. And then finally, it's a lifestyle change. Choose to make pre-forgiveness a lifestyle. We have lifestyle changes. I'll never forget a couple years ago when I found out my cholesterol was like a, a thousand. Um, it really wasn't. I'd be dead. But it was really high. And you know, I was frustrated with the, the whole new um, diet, as I was calling it. And my middle daughter said, Dad, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. I'm still bitter about that comment. I don't want it to be a lifestyle change. I want macaroni and cheese, and I want it now. It's a lifestyle change. The second reason we must forgive is because we've got it all. When Christ forgave us as believers, we got all of his forgiveness. We got every bit of it. Look back at Matthew chapter 18. Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Stop there. When it comes to 10,000 talents, it took one year. It took one year. I mean, 20 years. Excuse me, I know if I didn't look, I'd get this wrong. It took 20 years to earn one talent. It took 20 years to earn one talent. Equivalent to today, estimated, it was about $2 billion. $2 billion is what the debt was. So the crowd is standing around listening to Jesus going, ain't no way he's going to pay that back. Good grief, that's a bunch of money. There's no way he can pay that back. Verse 25, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. If you know Christ, you have been forgiven of a sin debt that you could never pay. When we have this sin in our hearts, and we know it's there. There is no way we can work it off. There's no way we could pay it, even with our lives. If you're not a Christian, this story is about you because you cannot pay the sin debt. If you are a Christian, it's about you because Christ has already forgiven the debt. So that's my disclaimer of nobody's allowed to check out during this message. It's about all of us. We're all in this story in one way or the other. Are we serious enough about sin, though? Brandon talked a little bit about it last week. We get a little uncomfortable around sin. We call it different things. It's adultery. That's what it is. It's not an affair. 
but we've softened it, haven't we? If one of you comes up here today and punches me in the mouth, it's going to be on. And as big as I am, I'm going to open up a can. It's going to get bad up here, right? Because I got guitars and stuff I can swing. But does anybody remember, a lot of our students don't, but does anybody remember when George Bush came to town a few years ago? Again, about the same amount as NASCAR. Um, I like it. I'm not going to participate. I'm going to keep my hands in my pocket. Um, Anyway, he came to town, and they um, landed his helicopter out uh, behind Paulson Stadium. There are three helicopters at all times when the president flies into places, and only a couple of people know which helicopter he's on. So they land, and and it's like, you know, that game where you have uh, three things and a ball, and you're swinging them around like this, you know, and like, woo, there he is. And um, so everybody's kind of watching like, which one is it? No, that's not it. Ah, oh, lost again. And, you know, he finally pops out of one of these helicopters and they escort him, you know, to, to where he's going. He came down, he, he was at Statesboro Inn, and he did a little thing there. And um, they, they took the, the Baymont Suites. I think it's the Baymont Suites now. It changed names like 11 times. But the one there on uh, South Main, they took the top floor and completely converted the entire top floor. Every room gutted them and made that entire floor just for his staff, all the phones were secure, everything was right there for nuclear war, it was all prepared for anything to happen. And they did that for about, you know, spent gazillion dollars for, you know, a 20-minute visit. So all this stuff was happening. I was thinking about that, you know, standing out there at Paulson Stadium and looking, you know, when he gets off the helicopter thinking, what would happen if I ran across the field right now? (laughs) I think I could make it. But you know, there's secret service guys who, who have um, basically spent their whole life waiting to kill somebody. And if you just kind of went into a little dr- jog right there, they'd drop you like a bad habit, wouldn't they? And then they'd ask your name after you're dead. You know, it, it doesn't really, they're not, they're not even, they don't even care at that point. But in, a, in, a, in the same way, the greater the person, the greater the consequence. Not a big consequence for coming up and punching me. But you try to approach the president in the wrong way, or if you were in New York City today during the 9-11 memorials and you leave a backpack sitting there and walk off, holy moly, let's shut the whole place down. The greater the person, the greater the consequence. We're sinning against the creator of the universe. Scripture is very clear here that we get hell for that. I think the consequence is probably a little bit greater for sinning against God than sinning against me or the president. We look back at verse 24. We can't work it off. Our righteous acts, Scripture says, are like filthy rags. They are meaningless. They are dirty. They don't get you anything. The debt is just too enormous. It's huge. From the most insignificant of sin to the most grievous acts one can commit on this earth. In verse 25, the servant's master took pity on him. Look at it again with me. 
But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Please, please. He's begging this master. He's begging him. He took pity on him. And God takes pity on us and cancels the debt for our sin that we owe. Aren't we thankful for that? Continue on. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. That would be a great ending to the story, wouldn't it? If it just stopped there, oh, that's so wonderful. I feel so much better about myself. That's how most of our churches operate. We stop right there. End of the story. Everybody feels good. Let's go home. Sorry. We're going to preach all of it today. Verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. Did you catch it? Did you see what Jesus said? He went out and found him. He went out and found him. About a hundred dollar debt is what he owed him. That's what this amount is. A hundred denarii, about a hundred bucks. He wasn't whistling the great old hymn, the dead is gone. Just casually ran into him. He went out and he found him. This happens every week in every church. It happens in this church. It happens all over the world. We receive all this good, free grace. This awesome stuff. It feels so good and we're so thankful for it and we get snotty-nosed and we're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. We experience forgiveness and we leave to find someone who owes us something. Slamming the door on our prison of forgiveness, unforgiveness, and bitterness. The third reason, the third reason we should forgive, it hurts us. It hurts us. Has anybody ever heard of the game or played the game Angry Birds? Yeah, see, I think there's something wrong with that when more people know about that than NASCAR. I'm a little bothered by it. Well, personally, I've never played the game. I'm stuck in a contract with a BlackBerry. That's what I'm bitter about today. (laughs) But I've watched other people play. And it's something about these pigs have stolen your bird's eggs. Is this correct? And they erect these buildings, and the pigs are over there going, ha, 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 laughing at you. And you have these birds that you're able to put in a slingshot and you shoot yourself into the objects, knocking them down, and then the bird kind of wiggles around and explodes. 
So you're an angry bird who hits something and you die. I was thinking about this and I've heard another pastor talk about this on unforgiveness. And I was thinking, I got to, that's the, that's the perfect illustration of unforgiveness. Kind of weird, but it's, it's perfect because that's what we're doing. It's hurting us. It's not hurting the other person. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. We're living with a bitter root when we harbor unforgiveness. And it's growing and it grows deep in the soul. Scripture says love keeps no record of wrong, but bitterness keeps it in detail. I've worked with some couples, it it's, gets humorous after a while. That there's always a historian in the marriage, isn't it? You know what I'm talking about. You get in the argument and you go like this. You pick up everything from the past. You can remember it in detail. You can remember what they were wearing. Talk about remember where you were at 9-11. I remember what you did to me. Oh, you think that's bad. Well, let me tell you what you did to me. And we become historical in our marriages. We become historical with our friends. We do the same thing. But the scripture is very clear there. It keeps no record of wrongs. Unforgiveness is like holding broken glass in your hand and squeezing it. Anne Lamont says, it's like drinking rat poison and hoping the other person dies. But Joey, it's even more serious than that. I was raped. I was molested. Jesus says, I know. Continually and completely forgive continually and completely forgive. Remember, this is something in your past. Many of you are in in here experiencing something right now. You're living in a situation that is unimaginable. It's horrific. I'm not saying to forgive someone who's hurting you presently. Some of you ladies are, are, are being physically and emotionally abused in your marriage. Nothing gets my blood boiling more than this. You think I get angry when you pull out in front of me? I cannot stand to hear and think about a man trampling his wife with words or with his hand. We've got some guys here who are barely saved, and they would be happy to take care of that situation for you. (laughs) You might think I'm joking, but not much. I can't stand it. It is weak. You're a coward. If you're doing it, stop it. Ladies, if you're living in that situation, if you're living in that situation, ladies, get out and get out today. We will help you find a place to go. We have resources here. Get out now. There's no reason to be in that situation. We are so open to God giving us mercy, but not real good at giving it to others, are we? He went to the master, 
wanting grace, and he left wanting justice. He went to the master wanting grace, and he left wanting justice. Thank you, God. Now, please let him get hit by a bus. Thank you, God, for saving me. But take him out. That's what we're saying, isn't it? Here's a new show coming on ABC. I was blown away by this this, this morning. I flipped the TV on, checking the scores, watching the race I DVR'd. Have I mentioned NASCAR? Um, but a commercial came on, and, it, and I'd seen a glimpse of it, and I don't watch commercials, but I backed it up. I said, what? A new show coming on this month on ABC called Revenge. Seen it advertised? I mean, this girl's typecasted. She's like Satan. I mean, you see her eyes like, oh, my gosh. The little tagline, revenge. Someone has to pay. The show is about getting even. I'm like, that's a, what a godly show. We ought to show that on Sunday mornings. Amazes me. Romans chapter 12 Verse 19, Romans 12, 19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We've taken on this bitterness and unforgiveness like we're responsible for it. Like we're the ones that need to pay the price. We're the ones that need to get even, and that person's got to pay. But according to Paul in Romans, God's the one who gets angry. God's the one who can handle the pain that we're having. God's the one who says, I hurt with you, but let me do it. Let me take care of your pain because I have already done it for you. Give it to me. Stop holding on to it. It's killing you. I've already paid the debt. You do not need to seek revenge. If you have children, you know what I mean. When we say our Father in heaven gets angry when someone hurts us. Those of you who have kids, you know what I mean. I have two girls in middle school. Holy cow. I prayed for God to send his son back before we started middle school. I was a youth minister for 13 years and I always said, God, I love these teenagers, but I don't really want one of my own. Now I got one and almost another one, another one coming behind that. They experience hurt. Oh gosh. Man, it hurts. I get angry. I want to do something about it. You make a choice today. It is a choice to forgive someone. It is not a feeling, and is not not something that's gonna come in the offering plate by you. It's not something that's going to jump out and grab you and go, oh, yeah, I need to do this too after I eat lunch. It is a choice that you must make. 
And I challenge you to make that choice today. Before you ever walk out of this room, make the choice to let it go or at least begin the process. God already paid for it for you. I was watching this weekend uh, one of the 9-11 specials and you remember the name Todd Beamer. Todd was one of the guys on Flight 93 that crashed in Pennsylvania that never made it to the White House or the Capitol or or wherever they thought it may be going. His wife was interviewed on the special last night. You've probably seen it. But she also, the one interviewed was the 911 operator that was on the phone for him, with him for over 15 minutes. An awesome story of resilience and perseverance. things that this 911 operator said while she's on the phone with him he's preparing to take over the cockpit with a few of his buddies where the famous let's roll statement comes in but she says before he As he was preparing, he was offering forgiveness to those who did it. (laughs) Wow. He knew everything that had transpired on that plane. sitting in here, so many of us who are in here who are just holding on to something something deep something that hurts so bad and we are not discounting that at all I know it hurts we hurt with you, Christ cries with you these folks over here want to pray with you and start this process of being, forgiving someone else and moving forward life, a life that God wants to bless 
and open up all kinds of new things that have been closed because of this prison you have put yourself in. You holding on to this, you hold the key to that door. Not the person who did it, but you hold that key. So I'm going to pray, and as soon as I finish praying, I want you to get up wherever you are and just go. Wherever you are, just get up and go.